Well, the struggle is real. I don't know if your struggle is, hopefully you're not going through the struggle that Tim Allen goes through in the Santa Claus, uh, but we all are struggling a little bit to stay away from the sweets in the holiday season. I don't know what your struggle is. I saw one of our staff kiddos the other day, little baby named Kai wearing this shirt. You guys have to see this. His shirt says, the snuggle is real. The snuggle is real. Well, maybe we didn't get the picture in. There it is. Okay. The snuggle is real. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's what we're talking about. The struggle is real in life. And I just have to tell you one other cute example of this. I was locking up the other night and I got into the kids' room and here's what I found on the floor. Apparently, these very cute looking stuffed animals were positioned in a battle. And, and this continues out further to the side. I mean, they were lined up like, you know, ancient, ancient battles where the soldiers would line up on each side. I don't know if this is from reading Bible stories in the Old Testament or what, but these animals were ready to fight. They were ready to go to war. I don't know what the struggle is in your life. It's fun to laugh about Tim Allen, and it's fun to look at our cute little kids and their cute little struggles. But as we get older, the struggles get more real and they get harder. The other morning I was in Indianapolis early in the morning and I was stopping to grab a breakfast bagel. It was back when it was snowy and it was below freezing and I saw this lady walking into the bagel shop with a backpack and it looked like she was probably homeless and I was having this prompting that I should pay for her bagel, pay for her breakfast. So I'm behind her in line and she gets up to the register, and I'm, I'm right behind her. I'm kind of like waiting to intervene. And the person running the register clearly knew her. And she ordered her, her bagel with some meat and, and egg and stuff on it. And then she pulls out of her pocket some change. I mean, it had to be about 30 cents. And she hands it to the person at the register, and the person at the register uh, just kind of told her thank you. And, and I talked with the person at the register afterwards, and it turns out, Every morning, that homeless gal comes in, and this person in this bagel shop just kind of takes care of her. And it was so inspiring to me to see one of these everyday heroes who are out there in the daily struggle that is life for ourselves and for our neighbors, and who is just showing up and being a hero one day at a time. But I wonder, what can you do in your life when you're in the struggle and no hero does show up? What can you do when you are struggling or when someone you love is struggling? I don't know exactly what your struggle is in life right now, but maybe you've got something going on and no hero has shown up to just take care of things or to just make everything okay. What can you do in the real struggles of divorce or of death of chronic illness, of suffering, of pain? What can we do in the real struggles of life? Well, we're in this series about Christmas in the Gospel of Luke chapter one, reading the people and events that led up to Jesus' birth. And the theme in every one of these stories has been that God is with us. And today we're learning that God is with us in our struggles. In fact, this dilemma, this tension, this very real conflict that we all deal with and our loved ones all deal with of having struggles, this is actually what the Christmas story is all about. It's about a God who loves you, who created you to be in relationship with him. 
And when sin came in and split you away from him, and as a result, we inherit a world full of pain and suffering and struggle, he didn't just walk away, he didn't just look away, he didn't just crumple up planet Earth and throw it in a cosmic trash can. He said, I'm going to do something. And in this series, we've been seeing how God uses ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things if we'll have a high view of him and a faith in his promises. So let's pick up in our story. If you were here at part one, you heard about Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they were seeking God and they were serving God. But even while they were doing things God's way, their life was disappointing. They had wanted a child for more than 30 years, and the text tells us that Elizabeth was barren. She was unable to conceive. And we saw in Luke chapter 1 that God was not mad at them. God was not punishing them. They hadn't done some wrong thing to bring this difficulty on themselves. Life in a fallen world means some of us will get cancer. Some of us will be barren. Some of us will have other conditions that come from the fall of sin. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were pleasing to God. They were righteous in his eyes, even as they went through a difficult time. And we've learned that God's with us in our disappointment. We've learned that God's with us in our surprises. And today we're gonna see how God is with us in our struggle. Well, Elizabeth becomes pregnant miraculously. This is not the birth of Jesus. This is Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And after nine months, Elizabeth gives birth. Now, I didn't get into this in week one of our series, but Zechariah, after he doubted God, he gets this little condition where he can't talk until the baby is born. And so the baby's born, and the moment it's born, the Holy Spirit comes upon Zechariah, and he's able to talk again. And we're going to read this prophetic statement that Zechariah says about his son and about his son's cousin, who will be Jesus. Here's how it starts in Luke 1, verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, you'll see as we go through this little prophecy that I've put some words highlighted in blue. And what each of these are is these are actions. You know, your English teacher would call them verbs. They are, they are words of action. And what we're going to see is that our God is a God of action when he sees people struggling. These are all things that God did in response to the human struggle. He's not a spectator. He's not passive when you're struggling. He takes action. And notice, it says he visited this first Christmas. God visited earth. But he didn't visit like some of your Christmas visitors with maybe a tin of cookies or a summer sausage. He visits to do this, this word redeem. It's a Bible word. It's such a rich word. It's this idea of buying something back. It's like the idea of if you had a really valuable possession and, and someone stole it unjustly and you went into a pawn shop and you saw it for sale and you took money in and you bought back what was already yours, that's what it is to redeem. And the idea of Christmas is that when Satan came into planet Earth and he stole humanity away from God and he created separation and distance between us and God, that in the person of Jesus, God visited us to buy us back to redeem us to himself. We're told elsewhere that Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to open the eyes of the blind. He came to give 
eternal life and a restored relationship with God. Well, there's more verbs in this prophecy. It says, he has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant, David, just as he promised. And last week we learned that God keeps his promises. Whatever you're going through right now, wherever life has surprised you, if you'll search the word of God, you'll find a promise for you as a believer in God. Thousands of promises he gives you and God always keeps his promise. The first Christmas was God keeping a promise that he would send a Messiah, a promise that had been given through his holy prophets long ago. Now, Zechariah says, we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. You realize Zechariah and the Jewish people, God's people at this time, they lived under racial prejudice. They were living under Roman rule and they were a hated and despised people group. Their race was despised. They were not given equal treatment uh, to the Romans or to the Greeks. They were, they were a, a class of people that was persecuted. And Zechariah realizes that the ultimate solution for human injustice and inequality is in the God who can make all things right and who can, who can cleanse the human heart from hatred. This God has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant that he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies. And why has God rescued us? It's so that we can serve God without fear. And now we can serve God in holiness and in righteousness for as long as we live. The prophecy goes on and it says this, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to dawn or to shine upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and to those who sit in the shadow of death and to guide us in the path of peace. So what's the answer to our question of what can you do when you're struggling or when someone you love is struggling and here's God's answer to that question. When God sees someone struggling, God moves toward them. When God sees you struggling, he moves toward you. And, and maybe you've never heard that before, maybe you've never felt it, maybe you've never seen it, but God brought you here today to tell you that wherever you're struggling, he's moving toward you right now. Now, now you have a choice to make in your heart, in your faith of will you receive him as he moves toward you? But Christmas is all about God moving toward us in our struggles and moving toward humanity in the human struggle. You know, often Jesus, to communicate the heart of God, would tell a story. And as I was thinking about this idea that God moves toward us in a struggle, I came across a story that I thought, there, there's no way I could put it better then this little video, this true story about one person moving toward another creature that was struggling. Go ahead and take a look. I don't know where in your life you've got a broken leg or you're limping, but you need to know that that's the heart of God toward you. And Christmas for all the you know, shepherds and angels and stars and mangers, that's all true, it all happened, it's all literal, it's all documented in history. But really what you just saw, that's, that's the heart of God toward you. 
wherever you're struggling. And maybe you're in a place in life where you've never really let him pick you up and start to heal you. Or maybe you're in a place in life where you've done that in the past, but you just kind of need that gentle reminder that, you know, this is what Christmas is about. The real struggles in our lives, God really cares about. These aren't just words. These aren't just cute ideas. You have a creator who made you. He loves you so deeply. And he longs to restore you. He longs to rehabilitate you. He longs to help you. And he puts his love into action. And he came in action. And he lived among us, not as some untouchable royal prince, but as a pauper born into the lowest class, into a family that couldn't afford a hotel room. And he grew up like we grew up. And he knew rejection like we knew it. And when God the Father said, to bring humanity back to me, you'll need to go to the cross and absorb upon yourself the sins of the world, he willingly laid down his life. One who has never sinned or made a mistake took the consequences of our sin and mistakes so that we could be made right with God. I wonder where you need to know this. Number one on your outline says that God moves toward me in my struggles. The most important way to celebrate Christmas is to know that you've received that gift for yourself and to be vulnerable enough with your creator to acknowledge, you don't have to tell me what your struggles are, but your heavenly father, he already knows what they are. And the choice for you today is, will you allow him to pick you up? Will you allow him to hold you? Will you allow him to start healing you? Just like for that little baby fawn, it doesn't happen immediately and it's a process. But the moment the process begins, there's a peace in your heart that you know God is now at work in your life. If you've never decided that before, you can make that decision in your heart today. Scripture says in Romans chapter 10 that if you believe in Jesus, that if you, if you declare with your mouth that he is Lord and if you believe that he rose from the grave, you will be saved. You can say yes to God's moving towards you this very moment. Have you received that gift of eternal life and have you applied it to the struggles of your present life. So here's our application question. Where do I need God to move toward me in my struggles today? Where do I need God to move toward me? Well, we asked what you can do when you're struggling and that's the answer. Now let's ask, what can you do when you know someone who's struggling? What can you do when you see the world around you struggling? You know, the reality is that most of us are um, more or less maxed out on our own struggles and our own difficulties. But when we have moments to kind of look up and look around, we see that there's a whole world that's struggling. There's a nation that's deeply divided, but this nation is the most prosperous and free nation in the world. There's so many people who are struggling for basic things like food or clean water. The reality of the struggle around us, there's a, a dear grandmother in our church. She doesn't look old enough to be a grandmother, but she is. And she has nine grandsons. 
Now her son, who she raised the best she could, has made some poor choices. So he is physically not able to raise these kids. And so she's got these nine grandsons who she's almost single parenting. I mean, she's got friends and support and people around her. But could you imagine? I have three kids and I'm supposedly in the prime of my life and I have a life partner and, and I can't hardly do it with three. I don't know how she does it with nine. And thankfully, many of you in this church family, you come alongside her and help her. She wrote a poem that has opened my eyes and it's her expressing how her eyes have been opened as she's walked with these grandsons who've sometimes been in the foster system and in, in other settings. The poem's called See Me. She writes this, when you look my way, why do you turn your head? Is it because you know I have no bed? My clothes are dirty, my body unclean, so therefore I'm invisible and can't be seen. Not sure why my life has to be this way, I'm just a child and have no say. I've lived several places and have no home. My brothers and I continue to roam. We want to stay put and learn and thrive, but instead we are forced to learn to survive. We are reaching out for help the only way we know, so meet our needs before you turn and go. For we are just children who have no say. Please look at us before you walk away. You know, as I've watched this amazing grandma do everything she can, and I've, as I've watched many of you in our church family help her, I've realized that, you know, the real struggles in each of our lives, it's almost like they're one branch on this giant vine of struggle and of pain and of difficulty that spreads across the whole country and that stretches across the continents. And if we really zoom out, that spans across the centuries of human history. Ever since Adam and Eve allowed sin, invited sin into this world, our struggles are connected in this giant vine of struggle that expands across the centuries. And in the Christmas story, we find God's answer not only for our struggles, but also for the many other people who are struggling around us. And there's a few more lines in that prophecy from Zechariah that I want to read to you. And they are the part where Zechariah talks about the role that his son, John the Baptist, would play. And here's what he says in Luke 1, verse 76. You, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. So John the Baptist, he's a real person who lived in history. And like I mentioned, he's Jesus' cousin. Now, Jesus is almighty God. So did he need John the Baptist to prepare the way for him? Well, technically, probably no, because God's almighty. And, you know, God could have just said, boom, I zap myself into existence as a powerful prince and everything is fixed. But God chose to use normal people like us. And in the, the reality of the Christmas story is that after Jesus was born in a manger, fully God and fully man, he lived for 30 years on earth. And there was a time where he uh, began a public ministry and he said to all the people around him, I am God and I'm here to take away the sins of the world. And that public ministry began because of his cousin, John the Baptist, who very literally prepared the way, almost like he paved a desert 
paved a highway through the desert for Jesus to walk on so all the people could see here is God among us. And this had been prophesied hundreds of years ago. The point is this, John the Baptist had a role to play in the Christmas story and we have a role to play. We have a role to play today in the Christmas story to prepare the way for God's hope and his salvation to essentially roll on in to our community and to our relationships. I'm guessing most of you have had this situation where you're preparing the house for company to come or for guests. And I remember as a kid, you know, if we had guests coming over, my mom would give me these different jobs, you know, to empty the trash cans and vacuum the living room. And, and we would prepare the way for a guest to come. Anyone relate to that? Anyone doing that here on Thanksgiving or Christmas? Awesome, you guys are with me. You know, God calls us now. The reason when we place our faith in Christ that we don't immediately teleport to heaven is that God cares about the people around us who are still suffering. And what Christmas is about for us is first, have you received God's help for your suffering? And then secondly, acknowledging and realizing we live in God's family and we're here to prepare the house. We're here to prepare the way so that the hurting people in our community can come in here. And on Christmas Eve, so many of them who won't come any other time in the year will make it here on Christmas Eve for whatever reason. We'll have about twice as many people as we have on a normal weekend. And we get to let them know that God loves them, that God made them, that God wants to help them. And so we get to prepare the way. And I just love this verse in this prophecy. It says, you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Now this was initially spoken about John the Baptist, but this is true of us today. This is what we'll be doing a week from today. And on Christmas Eve, we will be telling people how to find salvation. We'll be letting them know that there is forgiveness for their sins. And then the prophecy goes on and it says this, you will give light to those who sit in darkness and to those in the shadow of death. You realize there's people in, in the grocery stores next to you and in checkout lines next to you and in your neighborhood and in your workplace and in your extended family. There are people who are sitting in the shadow of death. It's the fastest growing cause of death in the United States is suicide. There are people around us and they don't walk around saying, I'm thinking of taking my life. They don't put a big sign on, but they're in need of hope. They're in need of someone who will give them light. They're in need of someone who will guide them to the path of peace. And that's our prayer this Christmas Eve is that God will use you to bring someone here. It might be a stranger in a Target or a Walmart or a Meyer that you hand a Christmas Eve invite to. We had that happen last year. We had a person who was just doing Christmas shopping and one of you walked up to them out of the blue at Target or Walmart, I don't know what store it was, and just gave them a Christmas Eve invite and they came and they received Jesus and their life is changing and I don't know who God's gonna use you to bring but I know he wants to use you to give this light and this hope to somebody. Might be a total stranger like that, it might be a neighbor, it might be a classmate, might be a relative, might be someone you know who used to go to church but hasn't been in a long time. God wants to use us and that's the second step on our outline here is that we move towards struggling people. 
Christmas is all about God moving toward us in our struggles. And then as we receive his help and he rehabilitates us and he fills us up on love, we who have been loved much, we're able to love others much. And now God enlists us in his rehabilitation of a broken world and in his work of restoring and redeeming all that's broken in humanity. What I wanna say is I've been thinking about this word in scripture and thinking about you all as a church family. I have to say how proud I am of you guys as a church because I know this is your heartbeat. And mostly tonight, I wanna affirm you, I wanna praise you and affirm you for being a church that does this, being a movement of people who do this. So many stories I could tell. I'll I'll just tell you one about a family in our community where the mom has cancer, and this family does not attend our church. They're not part of our church, but people in our church know about them. And because the mom's going through chemo right now and because the mom and dad financially, they've been tapped out by medical bills and physically their energy is so low, a small group from our church family adopted this family out of our community and said, we're gonna walk with you all the way through Christmas. Mom and dad, give us the dream list of everything your kids want for Christmas. And here's a picture, not of the family, I wanna respect their privacy, but of some of the people in this small group from our church, wrapping some of the presents that they got for this family. And what they did is, is they said, tell us your dream list for each of the kids. What are, what are the new clothes they want? What are the toys they want? Give us every, everything they want. And then each couple and each person in this small group, they each picked a different kid in this family and said, we're gonna, we're gonna give them a dream Christmas. And they've walked with them. Now, of course, the kids don't necessarily know that all this stuff is coming from people at Connection Point. They just know that they're gonna have a a great Christmas even though their mom's really sick right now. What's beautiful is that that family is one of 140 families that you all have done that for this month. In fact, 140 families and I tallied up the math, 475 kids in those 140 families. And you all as a church, through small groups and through individuals, you've adopted these families and every one of those 475 kids is gonna have a dream Christmas, 1,425 toys, new shoes and outfits, pajamas and coats. And this is not just a transactional thing where we just you know, show up and, and drop a, a, a dump truck full of toys on a house. This is relational where you all get to know these families and their names and their struggles. And what you're doing is you're showing them the heart of God that he's with them in the struggle. This year we did something new with this holiday project. We've been doing this for about 10 years now. And this year we tried something new. We realized a lot of these families that we walk alongside from Thanksgiving to Christmas Um, The kids, as they're getting older, a lot of these families, they're not able to just go out and see a movie or go play mini golf or go bowling. And so this year, you all donated a total of $10,000 worth of experiences, which were things like movie tickets, tickets to the Sky Zone, tickets to the Children's Museum or the Indianapolis Zoo, Speedway indoor go-karting, mini golf, bowling, 
and one of our sisters here in our church mentioned this to me the other day. She said, many of these families financially would not get the opportunity to do these types of things. And um, she's talking about just how the older kids in particular are just loving these activities. And now the families get to go out and make these memories. Why do we do all this? Do we do all this just so we can feel good about ourselves? Not at all. The reason we're doing all this is because this is the heart of God. And just like Jesus would walk up to a blind person and physically heal them and then say, now believe in God for your eternal healing, for the salvation of your soul. Jesus showed his love through actions. And everyone has to choose, do they respond to God's love or not? We can't force that choice on them, but we can show them through undeniable actions. There's a God who loves you, who's reaching out to you. And I just wanna say to you guys, way to go church, because you are doing this. You are living out what Christmas is all about. If we zoom out from this month to this year, did you know that between the missionaries we support around the world and the children we sponsor that we will send out more than $1 million, well, we already have, outside of our walls in 2018. And this goes everywhere from inner city Indianapolis and inner city Chicago to rural West Virginia to India, Guatemala, Swaziland, and the Middle East. And many of you have been on trips to these different groups that we support, each one showing the love of God through actions and then telling the good news that will be for all people, that there's a Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord, that forgiveness of sins is available. Here's just one picture from one of our families. Many of you, we've got about 600 kids around the world who are in orphanages and other places around the world who you all sponsor. And that's actually on top of that million dollars that we send out in a year. And this was just, I actually just pulled this off of Instagram. This is just one of your brothers and sisters here in the church family. They had gotten their update from a child that they sponsor. Uh, and her Christmas, this is what her Christmas looks like in a very poor country where uh, she, she wouldn't have education or a healthy diet without their help. So what will we do this Christmas? Well, we're gonna keep being the movement of God that we are in three ways that all come from this prophecy of Zechariah. We will tell people how to find salvation through forgiveness. That's what we're gonna be doing on Christmas Eve. We're gonna tell people how to find forgiveness, how to find salvation. We are going together to give light to those who sit in the shadows of death, to those who are sitting in darkness. This place is gonna be a big lighthouse on Christmas Eve. Also, we're gonna guide others to God's peace. Each of those statements comes straight from the word of God in the text that we read today. So here's what I wanna ask you as you think about Christmas. Who is one person that you will move toward this week with the hope of Christmas. You know, God doesn't call you to save the world or to reach everybody or to reach thousands of people or hundreds of people. He calls each one of us to reach the people who are in our proximity, in our daily interactions. And it's as we all work together that we become a movement that reaches many, many people. But it's about every individual who's one person who you can move toward this week. And maybe it's, you know they have a need that's physical or financial and you can move toward them that way. Maybe it's moving toward them just with a simple Christmas Eve invitation 
to say, hey, would you be my guest or would you consider coming to one of these seven Christmas Eve services? Did you know the majority of Americans in a national poll said, if someone I knew invited me to a Christmas service, I would go. The majority of Americans said they would go if someone they knew invited them. Well, as we uh, take a moment to reflect, I just want to ask you, which of these two kind of halves of what we've learned do you most need today? Do you most need to just know that God is moving toward you in your struggle? Or is it that you know that and it's time for you to move toward someone else as a representative of God in their struggle? We're gonna take a moment to reflect on that and decide, God, I accept you in my struggle and God, I will join you in moving toward others who are struggling. Would you pray that with me now? Father, Lord, I just thank you for your heart. I know that video of the baby deer is not necessarily straight from the Bible, but I feel like it's just a picture of your heart. So much like the stories that Jesus told. And God, I pray that you'd break through our barriers in our hearts to realize that you are a rehabilitating father. You are a loving creator. And across this room right now, Lord, I just know you've brought in here some sons and daughters of yours. They need to know that you're moving toward them in their struggle. They need to know that your heart is for them to help them. And Father, as you fill us up with your love, as you rehabilitate us, we know you have left us here on earth for a purpose. And it's to go and tell others. And so, Father, we just pray that your spirit would empower us this Christmas season, whether it's a handout in Walmart or to a, a drive through worker as we're picking up some food or to a neighbor we've known for 20 years or a coworker we've known for a few months. Would you just lead us by your spirit? We want to be part of your work of rescuing and of rehabilitating. God, right now, we're just gonna take some time to reflect and would you just speak through this song to let us know you're a God who pursues us. You came after us and you're pursuing us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.